we're really on behalf of the Louis Armstrong Center. We're very happy that you're here. Couple talks I went to today mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy and relaxation and sleep and music therapists do this kind of work. Uh, and we can do it in the moment, meaning it's not a talk answer response. We can actually gauge being in the music relationship, the difference between uh, depression and sleep, or the difference between um, holding on to repressed anger related to pain versus someone that needs to release and might just use silence as a repressed way of being. So this is, I feel like this talk today is quite timely because music is so accessible um, and because the integration of music in medicine and the integration of medicine to music psychotherapy is really cutting edge. So we're very excited. We have no disclosures. And these are our objectives. For those people who have never gone to a lecture on music therapy. Oh, good, we have some virgins. And so music therapy has a long history. Uh, we're in hospitals, clinics. Uh, we are with people who are dying. We are in the operating room. Um, but today we're talking, I think, about an advanced level of practice. And it's a juicy one because so many people suffer from depression. And many others we don't know do. And so it's critical to understand how music and music therapy and music psychotherapy, this implies advanced training, that, that we treat it in a way that's understood by you all. Do we have any music therapists in the audience? OK, that's great for us, because we need you to advance the field. So for 25 years, at the Louis Armstrong Center, he's the big boss. He's been teaching us about clinical improv. He, he funds much of our program. Our other funds are from private grants, public grants. But the grants also get reignited when medical teams partake in research. So we have many programs on the Mount Sinai campuses which are in New York City. Right now, we have six clinical trials rolling um, and lots of gray hair. All of our research is done with doctors and nurses. So we co-investigate. That's been critical to our growth. Um, and we have a wellness clinic where we have a MD psychiatrist and all of our music therapists. We kind of co-treat. He does much of the assessing, and we write goals together. He's seen a lot of music therapy assessments 
So this is about integration. This is not about music instead. Making track music's great, but it should be informed. Because you can play or use the wrong kind of music. There's many wrongs. So we're happier here because when you leave today, we know that you'll know the questions to ask and we know that you will understand music therapy. And it's our team's hope today that if you want to build a program where you are, we can help you build. We do that every month. So some of the philosophy that makes us around 25 years seems like a long time is that we keep the music um, most often live. Why? Because it's safer. Why? Because we can entrain. If someone's heart is beating this fast, way, way too fast, if we entrain our music to the rhythm of the body, we see changes. So live music also, it's not just about safety, but it's about this relationship that someone cannot make with a headphone. Uh, that's really important is the live feedback and the interaction that occurs in a music psychotherapy session at the agreed moment in time. That's called entrainment. So one of the people that's been critical to our early work in understanding pain is Dr. Russell Portnoy. Uh, it's very important for us as music therapists to understand through clinical assessment what kind of pain are we treating. We have to have many means of understanding the ailments of the patient. So you guys know this already. But what you might not know as well is some of the understanding understandings of music as medicine. So some of our work is release, um, rather than going up to a patient and saying, is your pain better, good, and walking away. We do a full pain scale. We do a full history, psychosocial. And we also talk a lot and work a lot in the music realm with people's culture. That's also a critical element of music therapy. Release implies that we want to see your pain. We want to partake in an interaction that will allow us as music therapists to feel your pain. It's a bring it on rather than get rid of it moment but it's based on assessment. We know that from research that music can reduce stress and anxiety, so we do it pre-post-operatively. We use pain a lot through, for depression. Um, that seems to be a large, uh, it's happening probably 10 times if we compare all our patients. Why? because people get depressed about their dis-ease in the body. So some of the findings on music itself is critical for us to know, especially because 
in partaking in a music clinical improvisation with a music therapist, we can actually see some of the pain elements come out in the play. So sometimes we encourage the coming out. Other times we may sedate. Other times we may try to prolong, do a blues, help people express their pain. And for that, one of the most important questions is, when did you first notice your pain? That gives us a clinical snapshot of something important. And it's often overlooked. It amazes me how many times people don't ask this question or are asking it for medical reasons and not for a moment in time that may relate to something essential. Like if someone's in the back of the car on their way to a vacation, and they name that as when they first notice the pain. That's a big ha huh for us. So we will get into areas through culture and through safe metaphor of music, because music's metaphoric, by being with someone in their history, in their culture, and in the pain. We know the music research also highlights the, the music catalyst for neurotransmitters, hormones, cytokines, peptides. Um, and so we're working to actually improve um, the patient's suffering. Um, and there's 10 different ways to do it. And there is thankfully not one right way but the way will be uncovered and explored through our next music therapy session. So music has been used as an intervention for pain. And we know from basic research, it can reduce levels of cortisol, stress hormones, tumor necrosis. I mean, this is in our literature. And it's fascinating to watch someone go from a 10 screaming in a bed, or to come into the clinic limping, and after giving them a buffet of options, we first get our hands on what we're going to prescribe, how many times they come. Might be once a month, it might be weekly. If it's impatient, we're going to see them every day. Um, through our many years, of work with doctors and nurses. Uh, we have really become experts at pain. I'm often called the pain queen. And uh, John has edited a book with one of our great oncology doctors on music therapy and pain. Uh, and Andrew works in very fragile areas like chemotherapy, radiation. Um, we all do everything. But I'm thinking, what a great resource John's book could be for you. So these natural killer cells are part of what makes our work so dynamic. Because first, do no harm. Let's try music therapy first is some of our referrals. And it may be the last. Let's say, let's try music therapy first, as if, eh. And then we show 
what happens, and the patient can sing about their pain, or they may drum with us, or we may sedate them. We've done a couple studies on sedation. There's a recent one in the Journal of Sleep where we worked with older adults um, who had frequent falls, disorientation. You know that unit. Well, we developed Project Sleep um, because music helps people sleep, relax, and music therapy deepens because it's following the cues and clues of the patient. This is kind of a medical music psychotherapy quickie for you. In general, the medical field is looking at the bottom. You know, the illness, clinical objective, we look up prescriptions for that pain, right? And we look, uh, we look at trying to get rid of the pain with something outside the body, often medicine. But the top part is the music psychotherapy. And you can see that those colors coordinate with the bottom part. So while everybody's focusing on the illness, we may be focusing on the resource. What is it that makes the person well? Let's build upon that, not as a distraction. We feel that distraction is kind of manipulative. We do more of integrating, integrating when the pain started, providing experientials. Some things translate to what they may do at home. So one of the cases I'm going to talk briefly about is this gentleman I worked with. I'm still working with him. His name is Don. We do see musicians at our clinic at the Louis Armstrong Center. Uh, that's one of our populations. Uh, musicians have a lot of stuff. Um, often sleep disorders, uh, performance anxiety, uh, depression. These are common overuse. But this particular gentleman was a very successful, is a very successful computer programmer. Um, and he's been sober for 22 years. He used to drink often and use heroin. He still occasionally has depress depressive episodes, and they can last from a week to a month. He might stay in bed for a long time, and he can do his job because he's in IT. He did have a dog. His dog recently passed away, which makes him a high alert patient. He's had a girlfriend for two years, but it's quite an ambivalent relationship. He plays often, travels, and is on the road. So he's successful as a musician. Um, his family, however, his brothers and sister, have more conventional jobs, a lawyer, or a doctor type of thing. So his goal in therapy, and we always ask patients what their goals are near the beginning, he wants to have a real relationship so seeing that he's cut off from his family, his perfect siblings, sees them infrequently, and his girlfriend is eh. So music therapy is a perfect idiom for him. 
because we can work with his repressed anger towards his parents and siblings that still gets translated to be live in the moment during holidays. And we can design a treatment plan that includes journaling, that includes his goals. But maybe the most important goal for him was to first feel successful. Um, his talking tone was quite suppressed and sort of mono note rather than going up and down and very flat, as often is for people who are depressed. Uh, he was diagnosed with clinical depression um, from our psychiatrist who referred him to music therapy. So one of the other things I learned after assessing all of these things, family history, culture, there's more. But notice I'm not saying he is a 50-year-old with stage 3 cancer. And, uh, I think he doesn't have cancer. But still, I put his age and the things he has first. I think it's sometimes very impersonal the way cases are presented. You know, she's a 30-year-old woman with breast cancer. No, she's not. She's 30 years old, but she is a school teacher, and she has three children. And if we could get in the habit of first presenting in our cases wellness factors, uh, I think it's a good way to do it. Makes them feel not as much of a number as they're a human being. Um, so we try to use music to explicate the human side of treatment. And for him, I worked a lot with our sedation effect. We have a method of helping people sleep that is evidence-based. We compare music therapy, sedation, versus chloral, chloral hydrate. How many people remember chloral hydrate? Yeah. Well, we used it with toddlers and babies. And we never thought there'd be such profound results. But there were. The music won overwhelmingly. So we published this in uh, the Journal of Anesthesia Nursing. And then we got a call a year later that the e America EEG Journal wanted to reprint it. So I think that music therapy for people who are depressed, for people who are very ill, can provide for prolonged hours of sleep. And good sleep is quite important. So we're learning more and more as we study about this dysfunction of the immune system when people are depressed. Um, and what stress can do. And it's very important to understand the mechanisms of what we're treating. How much is in the body versus outside the body. So chronic stress can really cause, if it's over and over again, we've seen changes in the brain. And the research shows that there's a rise in concentrations of pro-inflammatory cytokines and glutoids. So that 
what we want to do with the music psychotherapy is to develop ammunition for the body to fight stress. And ammunition for the body and mind relationship to be able to provide activities and experientials with the patient that can help them express their depression. We know that the symptoms of depression are often chronic fatigue, decreased appetite for sex, insomnia, oversleeping. We see that a lot with the Alzheimer's, older adults, especially late Alzheimer's, that they're in bed all day. And we also now learn from our latest neurologic studies is that smoking can affect the brain, not just the lungs. So it's good for us to understand the full history of the patient. And this diagram just really shows that pain and stress and anxiety can affect all levels of function and all organs. Yes. So these areas are important for us to understand as we pro provide music and music psychotherapy to treat the ailments. I'm going to just speak briefly about noise. And there's many more articles than this. But noise in hospitals severely affects a patient's capacity to sleep, to feel well. And so it sometimes acute pain, not well treated, turns into chronic pain. So we have to understand the patient's environment, particularly in hospitals. There's been journals devoted to hospital environments and noise. Uh, we go right in critical areas. This is the operating room. So the last thing this woman heard before her breast surgery was not five anesthesiologists going, breathe in, but she heard somewhere over the rainbow. And I sang a verse about her children. And so she felt safe in that transition. That's critical. So we do use songs, chants, themes. Um, and familiar melodies, um, but altered to the person, because we can go major to minor. We can go queen to Stravinsky quicker than an iPad. And we can actually make that music the patient's own music easily. So the environmental uh, factors are something we really look critically at, the keys of the beeping uh, pumps, for instance. Um, so we do inpatient, but we also treat outpatient. We have a center for music and medicine where we can take people we saw as inpatients, bring them outpatients. It's right on Union Square. So these are some of our areas of expertise uh, that we have built, not only because it's needed in New York City, but it's built upon doctor and nurse referrals. And the clinic, too, can take everyday health and everyday wellness as an aspect of treatment when they no longer have the disease. Andrew's going to talk more about the music psychotherapy and cancer care. <coughs> like I said, a lot of lectures I heard this morning mentioned cognitive behavioral and mention sleep. 
and I didn't hear them talk about music therapy. Shame on them, because the literature is out there. And this is a non-invasive way of creating a relationship. We also treat stroke. We have a stroke choir and caregiver, caregiver choir uh, where patients come Monday nights for an hour. And it's so interesting to see not just their movement and prowess of mind come back, but actually they speak more. They're not just blobs. Uh, just quickly, I have like two more minutes, but everything we do at the Louis Armstrong Center and at our Mount Sinai hospitals is evidence-based. So Andrew's going to talk to you about this great journal um, article. It was one of the most downloaded last year, it turns out. So these are radiation oncologists just hungry for the human element, just hungry for people to get music therapy so they feel safe before they go for treatment. We also did a multi-site study in 11 NICUs. Um, and this is really important because our model for NICU music therapy isn't just about the baby. It's not just about respiratory rate, heart rate, sleep. But it's actually in our model, which is three-prong. We include the baby. We include the parents providing music psychotherapy for them. And we include the environment. So part of our training in NICU music therapy is how to change the noise, because noise is disordered music. Second study we did um, was called AIR, Advances in Respiration. And that is really good for the COPD patients that sit home, have their tanks, and feel there's no treatment. Well, the music therapy really helped their depression go away, lessen, and help them become social. And then John's study, the spine study, um, looked at pain post-surgery. And he may be talking a little about that. But music participation with a music therapist who knows what goals and what instruments. And there's, there's many wrong songs you can use. Um, but th there are many right ones as well. So we go into all different areas and do research in how music therapy can lessen the perception of noise and stress. And that's critical in hospitals, particularly and I see use. And then the last study we did, there's more than these, but I chose these for today because these populations are most apt to have depression. So we did the spine pain post-surgery. We talked about musicians. We talked a little bit about radiation oncology and the link between fear and anxiety. The last study we did was with our team that worked on the geriatric and addiction unit. And we showed how our model of music sedation could help people go to sleep better. And sleep is critical for good.